You're listening to the All Truth is God's Truth program. In God's creation, all truth belongs to Him. Therefore, as Christians, we must connect all truth back to our triune God in light of His inerrant Word and His creating, sustaining, and redeeming work. I'm your host, Jared Moore. So today we're looking at a very important subject, um, how the argument that same-sex attraction is not sin has permeated all of evangelicalism. Uh, particularly, we're looking at the largest denomination, evangelical denomination in the world, Southern, Southern Baptist, and their flagship seminary, one of the professors, longtime professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, David Prince, publicly on his website argues unashamedly that same-sex attraction is not sin, and he argues that if you disagree with him and say that same-sex attraction is sin, then you are like Satan, the accuser of the brethren. This is what he says in an article titled, Temptation, sin, Temptation Jesus, Sin, and Same-Sex Attraction. He argues, begin quote, Temptation is not the same as sin. Temptation can certainly lead to sin, but maintaining the distinction between temptation and sin is vitally important. Getting this wrong destroys our Christology and creates a culture of unnecessary guilt in the life of a Christian. Misplaced guilt is one of the chief weapons of our serpentine accuser, Revelation 12.10. The discussion of how believers and churches should respond to brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle with same-sex attraction has led some evangelicals to argue that the attraction itself is sinful, even if the Christian remains chaste and in obedience to Christ never yields to the temptation. Of course, same-sex attraction is simply one among many ways all believers are tempted to sin. How we answer the question of the relationship between temptation and sin has huge implications for every Christian. The preacher of Hebrews urges his listeners, I believe it's a sermon in written form, he argues, to draw near to Christ in great confidence. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15. Some suggest that tempta the temptation of Christ was not really temptation in the way we experience temptation because of his divinity, but that all of our temptation is inherently sinful because we are simply humans. First, the church has always rejected as dangerous any attempt to divide the incarnation of Christ in that kind of way. Second, such an approach seems to be arguing the opposite of what the text in Hebrews is emphasizing. Jesus was unsuccessfully tempted in the wilderness by the devil upon the launch of his public ministry in Matthew 4, Luke 4. And the Hebrew sermon stresses that as our high priest, Jesus is able to sympathize with us because he is one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The sermon in Hebrews had already asserted, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted, Hebrews 2.18. At Gethsemane, Jesus overcame temptation to shrink back from the task ahead when he fell on his face and cried out, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew twenty six thirty six through 39 The Hebrew sermon avers that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Hebrews 5, 8 The language throughout Hebrews 1 through 4 seems to be chosen precisely because of the way it connects with the experience of the listeners. Temptation is an experience common to man, according to 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. But not all are tempted in the same way. Whether the temptation is a same-sex attraction, 
heterosexual immorality, deceit, materialism, laziness, pride, or countless others. If the person recognizes the danger, seeks deliverance from the temptation, and resists acting upon it to the glory of Christ, that is obedience, not sin. James argues that temptation alone is not the same as committing sin. According to James, temptation can give way to inordinate desire and give birth to sin, but if it stops at the level of temptation, then sin is not yet conceived. James 1, 13-15 Agreeing with the temptation and capitulating to a sinful desire must not be considered the same thing as rejecting a temptation and turning from a sinful desire. Temptation certainly becomes sin when we yield to a sinful desire in our heart, mind, or actions, but it is biblically wrong and pastorally tragic to suggest that all temptation is sin. Satan, the tempter, is the accuser of our brothers. Let us not join him in his destructive ministry of condemnation and false guilt. Let us say with Paul, with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, end quote. There's a lot to unpack here um, because there, there's so much error that has went into this article. First, it's amazing and staggering that David Prince would compare homosexual desire, which is the desire to have sex with a man, to compare that to Jesus being offered. Think about what the devil offered Jesus in Luke 4. He offered him inherently good things. He offered him food because he was hungry. So Jesus desired food. The devil offered him food. The devil offered him to be the king of kings. And the devil offered him angel protection. All three of those things are inherently good things. But the desire to have sex with a man is not inherently good. It is evil and wicked, inherently sinful, contrary to the design of God. It is not comparable to Jesus' temptation. Right, Jesus was offered inherently good things through evil means. And Jesus 100% rejected the evil means. He desired the things the devil offered because he was going to receive them either during his ministry or after the cross from his father. He desired them from his father. He did not desire them from the devil. And so... We need to reject what David Prince here is arguing and comparing a desire for homosexual sex, comparing that to Jesus desiring food to be the king of kings and angel protection is incomparable. The second way that he has uh, messed up here is in his assumption about Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15 does not mean that Jesus was tempted with every sin under the sun. You know, he, he, you know, some translations argue that he was tempted in every way as us. It's one Greek word. Some, some say, some translated all things. It can also be translated holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, which the author of Hebrews is just arguing that Jesus was truly tempted. He is truly human. So he's like us in his humanity and that he was tempted. And he is not like us in that he is sinless. The whole point of Hebrews, the whole book, is to argue that Jesus is better than us. The author of Hebrews is telling his hearers, look, Jesus is better than the Old Testament high priest. In Hebrews 4.15, in that chapter, the author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is better than the Old Testament high priest uh, because he had to atone for his sin before he went into the Holy of Holies. But Jesus did not have to atone for his sin when he went into God's presence because he's sinless. He was not tempted from within. He was tempted from without. He desired good things, 
and rejected the devil 100%. Now, it is true that we are tempted like Jesus sometimes. Sometimes we are offered from the devil or from a demon or from those who serve him. Um, we're offered good things through evil means. Desiring good things is not sinful. If we reject the evil means 100%, then we have been tempted like Jesus, and we have not sinned. But in most cases, we are tempted from within. We're being tempted like David or Peter, where you have an internal desire to evil. And Prince also gets James 1 wrong, because he, he argues that James is saying that you haven't sinned until you know, the the uh, desire conceives. But the way that James describes internal desire for sin, that internal temptation, he uses action. He says it lures, you lure yourself, and you entice. Think of a, a fishing metaphor, catching a fish. Luring and enticing, those are both actions. And so your flesh is actively desiring evil and is trying to get you in your mind to go along with it and so who's tempting you whenever you have an internal desire for evil you're tempting yourself if the devil tempts you it's sin if you tempt somebody else it's sin so why would you tempting yourself not be sin it's disobedient to god it is not loving God with all our hearts, souls, and minds. It is not purity of heart. And so it is the beginning of the lust of the flesh. Now, Prince here, he represents the modern Roman Catholic view of sin. You know, Jesus said we must love God with all our hearts, souls, and minds, love our neighbors as ourselves. Same-sex attraction does not love God. It does not love our neighbor. Modern Roman Catholics teach that evil desire from original sin only becomes culpable if you act on it. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, he says that his flesh is sin. He uses the, the same word, right? It, it, it's sin, amartia. It's sin. The 10th commandment says you shall not desire anything that belongs to your neighbor. Like it, it's commanded. We're not even able to desire something evil. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that only those who are pure in heart will see God. If someone who's having same-sex attraction desires, is that purity of heart? No, it is not obedient to God. And so if you want to know what sin is, you don't ask, what am I able to do? Or what do I remember? Or what did I choose? We've got to quit talking about ourselves. The definition of sin is... Is it obedient to God? If it's not obedient to God, it's sin. Sin is not determined based on us. It's determined based on God's holiness. Anything that does not measure up to God's standard for obedience is sin. It doesn't matter if we choose it. It doesn't matter if we remember choosing it. We've got to quit talking about ourselves. Essentially, what Prince's article argues is anthropology. He's studying humanity and saying, what is man able to do? And then he's reading that back into the text instead of just reading the Bible. You want to know what the standard of obedience to the law is? Jesus Christ. 
did Jesus Christ ever have any sinful desires or desires for evil? No. You know, Augustine argued that if when he's arguing against the Pelagians, when he's arguing against the Pelagian Julian, he argued that in order for Jesus, because Jesus is perfect and he's holy and he's sinless, in order for him to have an evil desire, he does not have flesh like us, sinful flesh. He doesn't have original sin. In order for Jesus to have an evil desire, a desire for sin, he would have to will or create the desire in himself. And so I think Augustine's right about that. He would have to create that desire. And so he would have to will it to have an evil desire. Now, he says that Jesus, Prince also argues that Jesus was tempted in Gethsemane to disobey his father. That is not what the text says. The text says in Luke twenty-two forty-two, the way that Jesus prays, he starts with, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And so what is Jesus not want, not desiring? Well, he, he's desiring God's will because he starts with that. He desires God's will, but what doesn't he desire? He doesn't want to experience his father's wrath. Well, why doesn't Jesus want to experience his father's wrath? Well, because he is holy. Imagine sinless Adam before he sinned. Imagine him saying to God, God, I want you to pour out your wrath upon me. He obviously wouldn't say that because that would be a wicked thing to desire. And Jesus is holy and sinless. He loves his father. He should not want to experience his father's wrath. He shouldn't want Jesus being holy. He should not want to become sin. He should not want to die. He should not want to suffer at the hands of evil, wicked men. Jesus shouldn't desire any of those things. But you know what he should desire? To do his father's will, which is 100% what he prayed. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, could not have had a better response. It is the perfect response in difficult providence where you know you want God's will because whatever God ordains is right, but you do not want the evil that comes along with his will. Right? It's similar. My mother passed away recently with Parkinson's. I do not want her to be gone. I do not wish that my mother suffered with Parkinson's. I do not wish that she was dead, but I accept my father's will because whatever my father ordains is right. And so I can desire God's will while not desiring the things that we shouldn't desire. You shouldn't desire for your loved ones to get Parkinson's. You shouldn't desire for your loved ones to die. Right. But you should desire that they are with the present. They're in the presence of Christ. They're getting to enjoy him forever. And I do want all those things. But boy, would I love to have her here. Right. I mean, and, and Jesus is right to desire his father's will. And he is right to not desire his father's wrath. He is perfect. This is the perfect response in Gethsemane. And so Prince is just flat out wrong here, not to mention I mean, most of church history would call what Prince argues here heresy. And imagine saying this about racism. Imagine saying that a racist inclination is not sin. Imagine saying that a, a murderous desire in your heart is not sin. Imagine saying that a desire to abuse someone is not sin unless you act on it. I mean, if you add any other sin to this, 
you show how heinous and wicked what he is arguing here is and how it's clearly contrary to Scripture. The Bible does not ask, hmm, what can man do? And God sets his standard based on what man can do. No, the whole point of the Old Testament is to show us that man can't do it. If we're going to be saved, God is going to have to become man and live the life that he requires of us and then die the death that we deserve and and take our sin away through his death and give us his righteousness. That is the only way we can be saved. And praise be to God, he has provided Jesus. And so, friends, I want to encourage you to reach out to David Prince. I want to encourage you to tweet at him, encourage him to respond and to answer these questions and to encourage him to take down this mess and to quit teaching this heresy. Same-sex attraction is sin because it's contrary to God. That's why it's sin. Anything in us that's contrary to God is sin. And praise be to God. Look, if you'll repent and believe, you'll trust in Jesus, he will save you. He will save you. He'll save all those who come to him. And so where I fall short, you know, when my flesh rises up and it tempts me, what I do is I turn from it and I praise God that I didn't act on it, but I also confess that I even had a desire for something evil. That I, Because the Bible says that a fleshly desire is sin. It's very clear about this. And so we need to confess it. And so I sleep like someone who is saved. I am saved by the righteousness of Christ, not my own. And so I trust in him and I seek to live for him. And so that's, so Prince is essentially trying to take sinners guilt away through rhetoric by telling them you're not sinning only jesus can truly take our guilt away and that's got to be the emphasis and i find much more freedom in trusting in christ rather than trusting in my own memory like hmm did i consent to that fleshly desire any like that that determines whether or not i've sinned and i'm saying no look Look to Jesus. I assume we're more sinful than we are. Do you realize how bad, how sinful we are when the disciples asked Jesus and he taught them to pray in Matthew chapter 6? He includes confessing their sins. Forgive us our trespasses. So Jesus is saying when he taught us to pray, so every time we pray, Jesus assumed that we, well, he knew that we would have sins that need to be confessed. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. You know, Augustine said that we are so sinful that each night we go to bed with having committed over a million sins. Over a million. And I think he's right. I think we're more sinful than our memories realize. We're, we're more sinful than our consciences realize. The one who knows our sinfulness is God. And we are so sinful that the only way we could be saved is if he gave his only son for us. And praise be to God that we have a Savior. So, friend, get up and trust in him. Do not look within to find your justification for your sinful flesh. Look to Christ who takes your sin away and gives you his righteousness. And so I want to encourage you to reach out to David Prince. And if he won't respond, reach out to the trustees of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Reach out to President Moeller. Reach out to those who are high up at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and encourage them to deal with this. I mean, what good is the Nashville statement if people who sign it say that homosexuality is not sin, who say that homosexual orientation is not sin, that same-sex attraction is not sin? 
what good is the national statement if we're going to argue that heresy and allow people who argue that heresy to sign it? Friends, I want to encourage you, if you enjoy uh, enjoyed this podcast, I want to encourage you to check out my YouTube channel. Uh, check out my Patreon if you'd like to support my ministry. And, um, you know, subscribe to my YouTube channel. If you have any questions, reach out to me on Twitter, uh, Jared H. Moore, and I'd love to hear from you. I hope y'all have a, a good week. Thank you for tuning in. I've been persuaded, seen at it, I see the Savior, I see His grace is amazing, I persevere to the end. I'm